Hello, Urbanist. Parksify needs your support. As an independent podcast, Parksify depends on support from patrons. So if you're enjoying the Parksify podcast, consider signing up as a patron for as little as $1 a month. We have great perks including stickers and Parksify t-shirts, and all patrons receive access to our articles and early access to this podcast. To learn more and to sign up, just head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Parksify. Thanks for your support. Hello, I'm Ash Blankenship, and this is the Parksify Podcast, where each week I talk with planners, urbanist authors, and changemakers in our cities to discuss topics that impact our communities. Joining me on the show today is Jeff Speck, a city planner and author of Walkable City, How Downtown Can Save America One Step at a Time. I speak with Jeff about shared space street design and about the benefits of this concept. There's different scales or degrees of urbanity of shared space, but it's essentially a space in which cars and pedestrians and bikes and everyone are expected to mix and they're expected to do so at such a slow speed that it's safe for all those things to mix. My conversation with Jeff Speck all ahead on this week's episode of the Parksify podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for joining me on the show. Hey, it's my pleasure to be back. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really looking forward to talking with you today about some shared space planning designs. So let's talk about that. And Jeff, you're an expert on walkability. So I'm really looking forward to hearing how a shared space street design can help or hinder walkability. But first, let's discuss exactly what a shared space looks like. So basically, streets are minimized in a way that eliminates segregation of the street and the sidewalk. So can you tell us more about this approach to planning? Yeah, so uh, the, uh, I should first say I'm, I'm about as much an expert on shared space as you can be, having never gotten one built. Mm. Um, and that's because I'm American. And uh, pretty much, uh, I'll cite some exceptions, but until very, very recently, um, we've never been able to build them here in the U.S. because of the approach that traffic engineers take to uh, what they believe is safe, which uh, most of us now believe isn't. Um, but there's some great examples in Europe. And recently, uh, I'm going to be visiting it in February, but there's a example uh, of six blocks of shared space that were built as part of the new wharf development that you may be aware of in uh, southwest Washington, D.C., um, mm-hmm. And some very small interventions, um, but really only a block or so long as a part of the uh, New York City's retrofit around Broadway. And you know how they've been changing Broadway over the past years mm-hmm. uh, since Jeanette Sadek Khan started doing that stuff under Bloomberg. Um, right. So there's very few examples. But to, to jump to uh, a definition, I think there's different scales or degrees of urbanity of shared space, but it's essentially a space in which cars and pedestrians and bikes and everyone are expected to mix, and they're expected to do so at such a slow speed that it's safe for all those things to mix. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason that those slow speeds are expected and do occur when it's built properly is because all the cues of the landscape indicate to drivers that they'd be crazy to drive fast. And the history of it is kind of tied up with another concept, which is called naked streets, that you're probably also aware of. But it all, it all finds its kind of foundation in the work of the traffic engineer uh, now past Hans Monderman, who was Dutch and, and active uh, mostly in the 90s in the Netherlands and elsewhere. 
And um, he had this famous saying, I'm going to botch it, but he said, most, most people, when uh, they think a street is unsafe, their first reaction is to add something. I say, why not take something away? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, the experience that he had with the work that he did in Europe was that uh, a confused driver is a safe driver. And by removing cues from roadways, by removing all striping, all signage, uh, all indications of how the space was to be used, he created these environments, mostly kind of roundabout-like environments, where cars and motorbikes and bikes and pedestrians and everyone would mix. So by creating an environment in which there were really no cues as to how people were to behave, cars, bikes, pedestrians, everyone entered it with a certain amount of caution, um, most importantly the drivers, who understood that if they sped, they were likely to hit something. Hmm. And he had this this famous uh, thing he would do when reporters came to visit him and interview him about his creations is he would stand facing the TV cameras and explain the roundabout or whatever you want to call it behind him as the traffic was through it and then slowly walk backwards blindly into the traffic <laughs> as he was being filmed and, of course, never get hurt. He, he did die, but not for that reason. So, uh, that was the beginning of a whole school of thought in traffic that runs counter so much to what traffic engineers in, in the U.S. have been taught. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it in Walkable City, but the, the foundation of, of traffic engineering in the U.S. is an absolute refusal to believe that that environment impacts behavior. Now, they may tell you otherwise. You know, Probably a traffic engineer hearing this would say, that's not true. We, we learned that, that making uh, roads wider makes them safer, but what they didn't learn was that making roads wider makes people speed. So the foundation of traffic design in the U.S., which began as highway design, was if people are going to drive the speed limit or, say, 5 to 10 to 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, how can we design an environment that will make that safe for them? How can we absorb their mistakes? And the solution, of course, is tons of signs, tons of stripes, super wide lanes, swooping curves instead of tight curves, limiting parallel parking, limiting trees, only having right angle intersections, keeping cars and people and bikes you know, separated, all of these uh, approaches that actually cause drivers to feel more comfortable going higher speeds and result in speeding. So the, you know, the traffic engineers that I work with, of course, and a, a significant portion of the profession now have now figured that out. But still, the majority of traffic engineers practicing today are still adhering. And, and, and frankly, the, the practices that they feel obliged to follow, lest they be sued, are still adhering to a uh, philosophy that says that we aren't impacting people's speeds with the environment. We are merely making it safe for them to drive fast and therefore encouraging speed. So the, the idea that you would create an environment that punishes or creates greater risk when people speed is, is antithetical to that approach to traffic planning. But of course, whenever it's been done, I should say done correctly, um, it has uh, made places much safer. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 shared, the, the naked street concept grows into a more constructed outcome, which is to say rather than just removing signs and stripes uh, and perhaps, you know, and signals and um, letting people make life-saving choices as they enter our intersections, what if we were to detail the entire street environment in a way that it encouraged people to go more slowly? So that means narrower lanes. It means often 
uh, textured surfaces like cobbles. Mm. Uh, it means uh, sometimes sticking trees, you know, right in the road, the way that you can stick trees into a plaza if they're properly uh, irrigated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the earliest versions of that that I'm aware of is what we call the Vunerf, you know, the Dutch Vunerf spelled with a W. But those are almost always small little residential uh, drives where people drive, park, children play. And, and the first proliferating concepts of shared space, also Dutch, were these very low volume, low speed, often dead end, uh, driving and parking courts within, within uh, housing communities. And those aren't that hard to do almost anywhere because they're, they're you know, often private streets. They're often part of a plan for just a site of a building. Mm-hmm. You can call it a parking lot. You can, you can do different things to get away with it. Um, but the real transformation occurred when people started applying this concept to larger streets. And I should say the example, the example that's being built in, um, along Broadway begins to get us there because it's more of an intersection. Uh, the example on the wharf, which again, I haven't visited yet, uh, I believe is just one continuous street on the waterfront, um, not so much an intersection that has a lot of traffic on it. It's, it's, not a main, it's not a main street. Probably the main reason they got away with doing it was that it's a dog leg off of a main street. And the only people who are driving on it are people who are basically enjoying it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that took away a lot of the pressure. But the, the examples that really stand out that we're trying to bring to the U.S. without too much success are examples proliferating in, in mostly in the UK. And the, the most famous one is a, is a Main Street intersection in a place called Poynton uh, in the UK. And you've probably heard of it, um, but there's an incredible video I would direct your listeners to on YouTube, and it's called Poynton Regenerated. Hmm. And um, all I really know about it, well, I've, I've met and talked with Benjamin uh, Hamilton Bailey, who mm-hmm. was, was one of the lead designers of this. Um, and he's now the the Brit that travels all around the world, uh, boost you know, uh, promoting this this technology. But um, most of what I know about, it, I learned from watching this video, hmm. which is a fantastic. I mean, it's one of the best planning videos I've ever seen because they showed what it was like before. They showed all the problems they were having. They showed you know the four to seven accidents they were having a year um, at this main main intersection, which was uh, you know kind of eroded the main street of a pretty well-off town, but their main street was really struggling because there was tons of traffic. Pedestrians didn't feel safe. You know, the majority of the public space in the uh, main, main intersection where a couple small highways came together, you know, designated highways, but they were basically city roads, was overrun with vehicles and dedicated to the motion of vehicles. And, and people really felt uncomfortable crossing the street. You know, the accident rates were there to back that up. And the movie is great because they're interviewing people before it happens. Hmm. And there's, there's, these, there's these people, particularly, you know, one person's featured before and after who says, oh, it's going to be a nightmare. It's, you know, this kind of pompous Brit who, who uh, uh, is very confident in his, in his assessment about <laughs> what, a, what a tremendous failure it's going to be and how miserable it's going to be and what a bad idea it is. And then, of course, they interview him afterwards uh, slightly less pompous, saying it does not seem to have turned out as badly as, as I had imagined. Um, but you've essentially uh, it went from you know four to seven uh, accidents a year to to none. Hmm. It was a complete rebuild. And one of the things that characterized it, if you were to ask me how to build a shared space, I'd basically say you pave from building face to building face with a with a textured surface. Hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Now you can have different colors of textured surface. 
to indicate pedestrian zones versus driving zones versus parking zones. You can plant trees in it. You should plant trees in it. But essentially, it's just one big plaza. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of what happens in it in many Italian cities mm. is that, you know, in the Middle Ages or, or subsequently, they were paved with cobblestones or even the 19th century. In some cases, they were paved with cobblestones from building face to building face. And then eventually cars were allowed in and now cars move through and cars park and all that happens. But it's in an environment that cars don't feel comfortable, wouldn't feel comfortable speeding, mm -hmm. even if they're Italians. So in the case of Poynton, because of the weird configuration of the two highways coming together, it kind of functions like a double roundabout, mm. but it's, it, it's, or like a figure eight kind of, but it's basically one big cobblestoned area. And what's amazing about it, and you find this in a lot of shared space intersections, is that it actually solved the walking problem and solved the traffic congestion. Mm -hmm. So beforehand, people were waiting for long periods of time at, uh, you know, in, in queues at signals. Mm -hmm. And because it was a tough configuration of roads coming together, there was often a big backup. Mm -hmm. And between the pedestrians who were struggling to find a chance to cross and the cars who were waiting off in multiple cycles to get through, everyone just hated everybody. And um, now, because everyone's mixing, no one really stops for very long, if at all. You know, there's a lot of coasting and, and slow motion, but very little waiting. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it works great for bicyclists. And, and the town, you know, the town's come back to life. I mean, this main street that was just dying is now thriving. And the whole thing costs like four million pounds and the uh experience of completely changing that that main street for four million pounds you know, cities will regularly pay 10 million dollars for a, a new parking structure you know mm -hmm. like a small one mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and to th to, in order to make their downtown more vital and to think that they went from a place that was dangerous and everyone hated uh and dying to a place that's absolutely thriving for um for that little money is really astounding. So mm -hmm. I, I would direct people to the point and revisited video. Don't need to talk any more about it because they can see it. But the uh, you know that that concept then has started to spread uh, has started to spread mostly around the um, the UK. My experience in trying to introduce it to the US is that there's two barriers. One is mm -hmm. that it's just not it's not condition it's not a conventional traffic planning. So it's something that most engineers aren't comfortable drawing, stamping, uh, getting approved for fear of lawsuits and that sort of thing. Um, but also it is expensive. So it fits much more into the European model where they absolutely lavish uh, you know, resources on their streets. A typical street in Europe has beautiful paving, beautiful curbs, beautiful sidewalks, different cobbles and different zones of the sidewalks, you know, gold-plated bike lanes very often. So um, another impediment is that it, it costs a lot more to, to build it. So the uh, those those two things together have mitigated against it being taken up with any alacrity uh, here in the U.S. I should say that I worked on one as a as a community member. I, I worked on what may have been the first in the U.S. kind of by accident, which was if you go to South if you go to South Beach in Miami, um, there's a quite famous street called Espanola Way that you may know. Mm -hmm. It's where the guy buys a cake for his partner in the Robin Williams Kaja Full. Uh, movie, but around the corner, it, one block in, it basically ends, and then there's a intersection with another street that's called Drexel Avenue, and um, we we uh, the, the 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 city was endeavoring to redesign a one and a half block stretch of Drexel Avenue, and we community members who happened to half be 
DPZ designers and half Dover coal designers all said to them, you know, we'd heard about this shared space thing and we actually got them to pave it mm-hmm. with bricks. It's just, it's one intersection, pave it with bricks from building face to building face. We, you know, used light posts and bollards and other stuff to designate where the cars go, where the, where they park, where the people go. Um, but it handles very little traffic. So again, it's, it's of this type that isn't really a test of the safety, um, aspects of, of the, um, you know, of that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's some really great examples of shared space design and some statistics that show that it's actually safer. So why can't more U.S. cities get behind it? Is it just because it's going against our traditional views of what a street should be like? Well, I think in all, you know, in all fairness, um, it's not being brought up all that often. We're still kind of low on the learning curve. Most places where I, where I suggest it, it's just a question of budget. Mm-hmm. Most most often, the, the other thing is not to you know create a mitigating force against it, but most of the places where I work, they have a, li- a limited amount of money to make their streets safer or better. And I have this motto: I always say, "Don't rebuild, restripe." You know, you can you can for, for the price of rebuilding one street, you can restripe ten blocks of city. Mm-hmm. And most of the work I do in cities, we find ways without moving curbs, without changing drainage, without you know creating expensive construction projects to you know insert bike lanes increase the amount of on street parking and generally calm traffic by right sizing the number of lanes to the demand that they truly are satisfying and right sizing the lanes themselves down from 12 or 13 feet which they often are to the NACTO standard of, of 10 feet mm-hmm. why would i tell a city to build a, a complete street when that same money could go to restriping a dozen streets. So sometimes I do that anyway. But <laughs> point being, point being, um, uh, one reason why it hasn't occurred that much in my work is I'm always looking to get the most bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the ideal, the ideal place to employ a concept of this type is exactly the point in uh, type opportunity where you've got a, a downtown where a lot of street where streets are coming together a lot, or at least um, perhaps a difficult intersection. And the existing traffic congestion and safety pose a problem that has already kind of raised the prospect of an expensive solution. In a shared space, can cars, cyclists, and pedestrians really coexist? Are you finding that, you know, it's just creating like this really great ballet within the street? Yeah. So, so the, it's very clear that in a properly executed shared space, all the different modes of travel, including walking and rolling, um, are coexisting very well. But the issue is that it's not a high-speed environment, so it's not one that you would sustain for many meters or miles, right? Mm-hmm. The, right. The, the place to have it is through a key intersection in a downtown mm-hmm. or for, as in the wharf, for a few blocks which are basically being rebuilt from scratch in order to create a absolutely hopping uh, you know, street life environment. It's hard to imagine that it would make sense for any long stretch of roadway because after more than a block or two, the people driving won't stand for going that slow, right? So <laughs> it's really, and the way it's been employed, both because of the cost and because of how it functions best in, in, in Europe is for limited stretches of roads in key locations in towns that need 
a solution to a difficult traffic problem at a, at a central spot. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, there, there's, there, there's another way, of course, and a more common way to mix cars, bikes, pedestrians that you can use for miles and miles, and that's to have designated space, the opposite of shared space, to have designated space for cars, bikes, parking, uh, sidewalk. And of course, what we've learned there is that you can, and what has happened in the U.S. with some success and, and growing success is that we've learned, particularly if you're able to separate the bicycles safely from the cars with buffered bike lanes, ideally buffered by parked cars from the moving cars, mm-hmm. um, and also, uh, you know, off the sidewalk or on the outer edge of the sidewalk and clearly designated as a biking zone, um, then you get a lot of vehicles moving at a higher speed. So, mm-hmm. the, the, you know... You, before you design a street or a piece of a street, you ask yourself, you know, what is the what is the role, the functional role that street's playing mm-hmm. in the in the community? And if it's principally moving people, that's a different type of street than one that's principally collecting people. Yeah, right. All right, Jeff, thanks so much for joining me on today's show. Hey, it was my pleasure. I look forward to the next time. Yep, absolutely. That's all for this week's episode of the Proxify Podcast. I'm Ash Blinkenship, your host. I've been speaking with Jeff Speck, a planner and author of Walkable City, How Downtown Can Save America, One Step at a Time. As a reminder, the Parksify podcast is fully funded by patrons. So if you're enjoying the podcast, consider becoming a patron for as little as $1 a month. All funds go directly towards this podcast. You can sign up today by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Parksify. Our theme music was composed by bensound.com. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and consider leaving a review on iTunes so more folks can find Parksify. Until next time, keep chasing those public spaces.